Welcome to the Grace City Church Podcast, where we believe that Jesus died to reconcile us to God, to others, and to make us reconcilers. We're so glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're watching, God is doing transforming work in you through this message. Um, hey, if you're new, my name's Will Plunk, and uh, looking forward to leading from the teaching side of things. Uh, as we continue our series through Worship and Wisdom, looking at our first proverb topically, uh, together. Uh, hey, a couple things though. First is this, is um, I'm going to be gone for about two weeks. And uh, I'm going to D.C. to take uh, some classes up there. Looking forward to that. Um, so if you shoot me an email or give me a phone call, I might not respond. So that's why. Um, <clears throat> but a uh, couple things I want to say to that. Um, we as a church, and I'll, I'll be off from teaching for the next three weeks. Uh, we as a church believe in plurality. And uh, here's what we mean as it relates to the teaching side of things. We think it's important for you and for us all to really receive the Word of God through different communicators so that we don't fall tempted to attach ourselves too much to one person instead of to God himself. And so we think it's important to have plurality for that end. Um, That's one reason we do it. Another reason I'm looking forward to having some time off is just to really remember and to know that I am... um, my value is not based on what I do, but on who I am in Christ. And that my value is not based on whether or not y'all like my sermons or not. And I know that, but I need to know that. Amen? And so I'm looking forward to a little bit of time for that end. wanted you just to know that. Um, we are in uh, our first proverb in the Worship and Wisdom series. Uh, let me show you this outline of the book of Proverbs. Uh, the book of Proverbs has an introduction for just seven verses, and then you get instructions on speeches and wisdom. Last summer in the book of Proverbs, that's where we spent the majority of the time, looking at really more uh, of an entire chapter as it speaks about wisdom and pr- talks about Lady Wisdom versus Lady Folly, and you really see what does it mean to live wisely. Uh, that word proverb in the Hebrew is, is the word mashal, which has a wider kind of usage than just those kind of short, sharp sayings we think of when we think about the book of Proverbs. So that's where we spent the majority of our time last summer. This summer is going to be a little different. And it's going to be a little different than how we typically teach. Because instead of just taking a passage, we're going to look at a theme through the book of Proverbs. So we're going to be talking about parenting, sex, and today, justice. And really see what the book of Proverbs has to say about the topic of justice. Uh, Let me say this from the jump. I'm not a political pundit. All right? I'm a pastor. And uh, I'm looking forward to, because I think when we talk about the idea of justice, here's the truth, that a lot of us bring a ton of cultural baggage, especially in the last two years. Amen? To the topic. We got opinions. We got feelings. He's like, he better not say this. Now, this is going, he better say that. Right? So here's what I hope we can do. I'm going to pray for it. But we can just take a step back real quick and look at what God has to say about the subject. Y'all down? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you knowing that you do sit enthroned. And so as we praise you and lift our hands to you, we're acknowledging that you are our authority. That you're our king. That there is no one higher than you. That from you comes good things, comes blessings, comes gifts, but from from you comes directives. We don't want to be a people who is conformed to the pattern of the world. We pray instead, as it says in your word in Romans 12, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That Holy Spirit, you would be amongst us this morning using your word, as it says in Ephesians 6, as a sword in our mind. 
to cut away things we don't need to think and to build up and to construct new things we need to think. But we pray you wouldn't just transform our mind, but you'd transform our heart. This is a subject that should be written on our heart. So Jesus, please do that. And then also our hands. We want to be people who live and do justice. And so God, please be with us towards these ends. The task is too tall for us to climb ourselves. And so Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be the one who pulls us up to hear your word rightly. Anything that's of me, please, before I even say it, cut it away. Lord Jesus, in your place, may we hear the word of God. All God's kids sit. Amen. All right, I got uh, three main verses we're going to be coming out of and three points uh, for this morning. So let me show you the verses, and I just want you to hear them uh, this morning. These are from Proverbs 29. It says this, The poor and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives sight to the eyes of both. 29.7, The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. And then 29.4, By justice a king gives a country stability, but one who is greedy for bribes tears it down. Here are my three points from those three verses. The first is this. If you're taking notes, you can already write it down, that, that justice is on the basis of equality, justice is restorative, and justice is stabilizing. Justice is based on equality, justice is restorative, and justice is stabilizing. Let's look at our first verse. Justice is based on equality. The poor and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives sight to the eyes of both. Here's the idea really simply, is that God is the creator of the eyes of the poor, and he's the creator of the eyes of the oppressor. Both have eyes only because God has given them eyes. What does that mean? Well, it means that both are, have their origin from God. God is the one who has sourced them with their eyes, and this really is harking us back to verse uh, uh, 27 of chapter 1 of Genesis, where we get the idea of the Imago Dei, which is Latin for the image of God. Look at it. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, both male and female, he created them. Family, this is the basis for justice, that we are created in the image of God. That's, that's the foundation, that, that because we're created in the image of God, we have equal value and, and worth and, and, and dignity because God is the one who, who's made us. Now, here's what I know when we talk about justice. If I go, hey, guess what? We're equal. Nobody's like, what? Y'all hear what Pastor said this Sunday? He said, everybody equal. That's offensive. Ain't nobody feel that way. But here's the question. Do we view people that way? Do we truly view people as if they have been stamped, get this, with the very image of God. Like the people to the left and your right, your boss, your, your spouse, every witch, every type of person stamped with the image of God. Let me give you this quote from C.S. Lewis, and it's long, but I want you to hear it because it's important. It says this, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. And we're going to talk about why that's so. 
to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruptive such as now meet, if you now met, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one of those possible destinations. It is in light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another. All friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. Get this. These are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours the life of a gnat, but it is with immortals whom we joke with, work, marry, that's how you know he's British, snub, and exploit. Immortals, horrors, or everlasting splendors. Here's the idea what he's saying. What he's saying is this, is that if we would really know who we're talking to, it would change how we talk to them. If we really knew who we were around, it would change the way we act towards them because of who they are. Let me show you something in Genesis 1.27. In Genesis 1.27, in that verse right there, it says man and woman are created in the image of God. That word image there, if you look at that word and it's the way it's used in the Old Testament, it's the same word used to refer to idols. It's the exact same word. So a rendering of this could be that God made, literally, God made idols. Some some people say the reason why in the, the Ten Commandments it said don't make an idol, don't worship an idol, is because God already has. He's already made us. Now, I don't think idols is the right way to think about it because when we hear that term, we think worshiping a false god. But here's what we got to understand is every person has been stamped with the Imago Dei, Latin for the image of God. And literally, if we knew who we were talking to, it would change the game. Any of y'all ever seen Undercover Boss? Y'all seen that? Like, you know how they did that one at the Moe's in Mount Pleasant right here? Like, right here they did one. So I hadn't watched it like that, so I don't really know. But I did go back and watch a couple of clips. And they were kind of funny, right? Because the dude comes in, he's the CEO or the president, but now he's got a beard and a mohawk. So who is he? Can't recognize him, right? Like, so he comes in, whatever, and uh, they're talking, and the employees, they're just, uh, uh, the, the clips I listen to, uh, they're just like making fun of the customers. They're talking about how they don't like this value or that value and kind of all this stuff, just acting a fool until the very end where he walks out and they go, oh, dang. You know what I'm saying? They're like, he's, he, he, oh. And people get fired, like, really, like, in it, if you watch it, like, some people get fired. Why? Because they're like, dang, I thought if I would have known, right, if only I would have known who I was talking to. This is the idea of the Imago Day. This is what C.S. Lewis is referring to. If only we would have known who we were talking to. Literally, the way in which we will look in new heavens and new earth because we've been stamped with the image of God is that it would be almost like you'd fall down and worship because of how splendid we are because we've been stamped, not in ourselves, but we've been stamped with God's image on us. Do we view people this way? I'm talking about every person. Genesis 1:27 says, male or female both made in the image of God. Our verse says both the poor and the oppressor in the image of God. Galatians 3:28 
It says male, female. It also says slave and free, economic status. Then it also says Jew and Greek, ethnicity, all made in the image of God. What would it be like if we viewed people this way? Truly, fundamentally stamped with God's image on them. Think about it. What would that be like? How would we really talk to them? Everyone, male, female, created in the image of God. Rich, poor, created in the image of God. Republican and Democrat, okay, Dan, made in the image of God. Black and white, made in the image of God. Christian and non-Christian, made in the image of God. You ready? Heterosexual, homosexual, made in the image of God. It doesn't matter your belief. It doesn't matter your background. Everyone who is a human is created in the image of God and should be treated as such. Let me read you this quote from Dr. Entz. It says this, Because everyone is made in the image of God and because this image defines what it means to be human. You human? You in the image of God. People are fundamentally equal regardless of the difference in wealth, education, and social class. This is the foundation through which we are to understand moving towards justice. It is. This foundation is fundamental because in our nature, what is natural is for us to treat, honestly, those with more wealth or more status in a way that is disproportionately unequal to those who have less wealth or status or privilege. This is why if you actually follow the Proverbs, oftentimes in the book of Proverbs and in the Old Testament, instead of contrasting the oppressor with the oppressed, it just contrasts the oppressor with the poor. And Proverbs are written in couplets. Follow me. They're written in couplets. So what that means is, is if you're wondering what the definition of one word is, you look to its couplet, the other word, because, because they are to represent opposites. So let me show you a couple of places in the Proverbs where it just substitutes uh, oppressed with poor, ultimately. 22, do not exploit the poor because they are poor, and do not crush the needy in court, for the Lord will take up their case and will exalt life for life. Whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. Whoever oppressed the poor shows contempt for their maker. I want to stop there for a second. Whoever oppressed the poor shows contempt for their maker. Why? Because their maker also made the poor. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Listen, equality is the, is the fundamental basis for how we are to understand justice. Equality for all people, for the poor and the oppressed. But what does our verse say? Also for the oppressor. What you trying to say? Your boss made in the image of God, even when they be acting a fool. You know what I'm saying? You're like, you know, whatever political party you identify with, I guarantee you think the other one's foolish. Like, they crazy. Image of God, right? Image of God, though, that however we talk with whomever we talk with, made in the image of God. Here's the truth, right? This would change the way we operate on social media, Hey. You know what I'm saying? It would. 
For some reason, we think, hey, we on social media, so I can be out here on these streets saying whatever I want to say. No, dude, like they're still made in the image of God. Listen, what would it be like if we were speaking to them knowing that one day when, when my eyes can fully see them, I would be tempted, like C.S. Lewis said, to worship them. Why? Because they've been stamped with the image of God. Not because of who are in the, they are in themselves, but because God's image is on them. Listen, there's a dignity, a respect, a value, and a worth. I'm talking about a person in your small group who talks too much. You want to hop up in the car and be like, well, listen, they were talking, they were talking, and they were talking. <laughs> sorry, that's funny right here what just happened in the front row. I was like, y'all, y'all are distracting me now. I mean, eye contact in the small group being like, it was you. And they, they said, yeah, I know. All right, I'm going to be done with this. Right? Like, like. Like the person whose views are the antithesis of yours. Like we'd be watching stuff, family, that's just trashing people who have different views than us. Do you think we can watch that if we truly believe they are made in the image of God? And laugh at it? How do you think God will feel about you? about you laughing at his kids stamped with his image like that. I don't think he's going to be happy. This is everybody. This is the fundamental equality for all people. I'm going to get plain. You ready? Like, what this means is, regardless of if somebody can defend themselves, right? So that child in the womb who cannot speak, who cannot defend themselves, made in the image of God, fully worth, equal, and value, and dignity and respect. That argument, my body, my choice, I understand what it's saying, but it's a very bad argumentation. And it's honestly the same type of argumentation that was used to promote slavery back in the day. Like, you should literally go read the arguments. People will say, my property, my choice. I'm going to do with it what I want to do. The fundamental question is, is it life? Is it a human Because if it's a human, it's made in the image of God to be treated with equal value, worth, and dignity. But here's the thing. When you follow that doctrine to completion, what it means is this, is it's not only okay enough to care about the child in the womb. Because the mother is also created in the image of God. So adoption can't be the end. Fostering can't be the end. We also must care for the mother. Like, I'm talking about follow the doctrine to its end of the Imago Dei, the image of God for all people. All people. This changes the way we communicate. But here's the truth, right? We're talking about justice, and we're going to go somewhere about activity. But if we are going to go somewhere, we're going to take the steps towards what God calls us to do in justice, there is no way we get there rightly unless the starting point is equality. The starting point is that God has made all humans in his image. In his image, he has made them male and female. He has created them. The poor and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives sight to the eyes of both. But we're here celebrating on Juneteenth. Got my do right shirt on, you know what I'm saying? Like, like we're celebrating Juneteenth. And what I appreciate about that is this, is that, like, and this is what I think it reminds us of, and Pastor Krause said this too, but this is what it reminds us of, is that the laws and the speech can be declaring equality, but the practice not be yet. 
y'all know what Juneteenth is? Like, y'all should be with me. Like, like the Emancipation Proclamation can have been said, and that's what is, in a sense, but the practice, it's lagging. It's lagging. That's why my point two, point two, justice is restorative. It's active. It's moving. Proverbs 29, 7, look, the righteous, I love this verse. The righteous care about justice for the poor. Everybody say care. The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. Who cares about justice for the poor? Y'all, who cares about justice for the poor? Who are we in Christ? Who cares about justice for the poor? Who are we in Christ? This is our turf, family. This is the people of God's turf. Justice is our turf. The righteous care about justice. The wicked have no such concern. Let me tell you something that's really cool. In the New Testament, that word in the Greek, that word righteousness and justified come from the same root, all right? Decay is the word. And you get righteousness, dikaio, or dikaios, and you get justified, dikaio, all right? But it comes from the same root. So it would be appropriate to say, when, when it said, I've been justified, you could say, I like this, I've been righteousfied. And to say, like, to do righteousness would be like to say to do justiceness. Like, those are the same. The, the root word actually means just, all right? And so what does that mean? What does it mean? It is a natural outflowing for, for God's people who've been made right to do right. It's a natural outflowing for those who've been justified to fight for justice. Let me tell you something. What it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says this. He, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin so that through him, we might become the righteousness of God or the justiceness of God. In other words, when we have been made, like through Jesus, not our works, we've tasted his righteousness. And now you see in this verse that from us then, because of what Christ has done, there is a natural outflow of justice. Do you feel it? The same root, right, just, it's the same root, justified People fight for justice, like advocate for justice. The righteous care about justice. It's in our nature. It's who we are. It's the natural outflow of what Christ has done. This is why, like, you can get so frustrated for so many of us who grew up in contexts and cultures who don't ever talk about justice, like when we're in the church. But, like, you heard the Proverbs read. That's not a verse or two. We cut verses out to fit on that card. It's all over. Literally, the word justice is used about 30, 35 more times than the word gospel in the scriptures. That word is who we, it flows from who we are because of what Christ has done. We know the justifier, so of course we fight for justice. His throne is built on righteousness and justice, and since we are an outpouring of him, of course we fight for the same stuff. I hope you all with me. I'm saying it's ours, family. I'm saying, like, one of the things it does in Psalm chapter 5, I love Psalm 5, beautiful psalm on justice. 
And it contrasts, like we're talking about that couplet idea, it contrasts injustice. The word usage is it contrasts injustice, not with the word justice. In Psalm 5, it contrasts injustice with God's presence. Do we know that the only way someone will ever truly experience true justice is under the reign of Jesus Christ. It's in his presence. Family, family, I hope you feel me. Every other type of justice without Jesus will pale in comparison to what we were created to experience through Christ. Only in him. And like, here's one thing I love, right? Tim Keller, Generous Justice is a great book. He, 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 he hits you with this. He's like, never could we tell someone who's materially poor to pick themselves up by their bootstraps. Because we did not do that for ourselves spiritually. When we see someone who's materially poor, we see a physical illustration of our internal spiritual condition. Well, you're going too far, what I'm saying. So, Matthew chapter 5, Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Luke's account, blessed are the poor, ain't no in spirit. Seriously, in Luke's gospel account, most likely you got Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain, I think it's two different sermons. One's Jesus like, blessed are the poor in spirit. I want you to know, blessed are the poor in spirit, because we when we recognize our spiritual depravity, we recognize Jesus like a surgeon came for the, for the sick, not the healthy. We realize that, but we also realize that there's this physical aspect. We are, we are bodies, but we are souls, but we are also bodies, right? Like you can't detach the two. And so blessed are the poor because Jesus has come to redeem our souls. But you read 1 Corinthians 15, guess what else he's going to redeem? Our bodies. We're going to have a resurrected body. It's going to be dope. I don't even know what it's going to be like. Shiny? They ain't going to decay. This is the business of who we are now that we're in Christ. When we have been made righteous, we realize he's pulled us from the pit. He's taken us from despair. When we recognize that if we are in Christ, we were spiritually poor and destitute and needed someone to come in and to pull us out. And then now we realize, now I've been declared just in the highest court of the land, in the court of the new kingdoms and new earth, in the courts of Jesus. He swung the gavel. He's declared me just. And now that I have been justified, I am a person who wants to advocate and fight for that same type of thing for other people, for them to be declared spiritually just and them to experience physical justice. The righteous care about justice for the poor. One of the things, I, I read it in a, a preaching book recently. And, uh, you know, Jesus tells Peter, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And I think about it as a pastor, like, that's part of my job. Feed the sheep, feed the sheep, feed the sheep. But one of the points he made is the way a shepherd feeds sheep is not by, like, grabbing them and giving the sheep grass. It's by leading them to green pastures. And so here's what I want to say today more than anything else. Don't believe me. Look at the Word of God. Go to Blue Letter Bible. Justice. Just type it in. Seriously, great. It'll tell you all this. 
just start reading. You're like, man. And you'll see, this is our business. This is what we do as justified, righteous-fied people. We do right. Another important thing, I want you to see this definition of justice by Dr. Carl Ellis. He says this. I think this is a helpful destination because if we want to understand that justice is restorative and what we need to do, we need to understand the condition that we're in. It says justice is mitigating or restoring the dehumanizing. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. Justice is mitigating the dehumanizing effects of the fall, primarily the effects that are caused from a misuse of power. This is why I like this definition, is it recognizes where injustice ultimately comes from. It doesn't come from bad communities. I said this last service. Don't come from white people. Y'all don't laugh either. You know what I'm saying? It's not like white people, you'd have caught. No, that's not true. It comes from the fall. It comes from the fall, from sin in the fall. Like, listen, I, I was talking to my daughter. She did something wrong the other day. It's like every day. But she did something wrong, and I was talking to her, and I said, um, you know, well, why'd you do it? And sometimes they'll give the reason, like, that they were feeling in the moment, but sometimes they give the answer that we've kind of taught them. And so she gave us this time. She said, because I have sin in my heart. I said, that's right. And I don't usually ask this question, but I said, where does, where does that come from? And she said, because Adam ate the fruit he wasn't supposed to eat. And I said, yeah, yeah, baby. I was like, look at you. I was like, we training some theologians up in a plunk house, you know. And, uh, and then I said this, I for real said this to her, and then I came out and showed madly. I said, and you know why that is? Because the federal headship of Adam. I was like, that's why. And so I brought her to Mally, and I said, hey, Mally, you know, sin in her heart. She knows that. I was like, look at why. And she said, you know, because Adam ate the fruit he wasn't supposed to eat. And I was like, well, why is that? It's like federal headship. Of, you know. I was like, look at us. You know what I'm saying? Like, not, not like that. It's like, you didn't need heart transformation. They might be able to say cool theological term. But like, I was like we tried it, you know. But like, why, why is that important? Here, here's why it's important. It's because the recognition of where sin ultimately comes from, family. It's where sin ultimately comes from. And because of the fall of all of humanity, that Imago Dei has been tainted. It's, it's depraved, meaning not that we're as bad as we could be, but all of us has been messed up. And so now we know that every single person, whether oppressor or poor or black or white or Republican or Democrat, is marked with sin. And it is a state that needs redemption. We're all that way. But then we form communities and because we got sin, those communities got sin, and then we pass laws or rules that create sin in those places, and then we create systems and structures. So there's sin occupying all this. And here's what we need to understand is we as Christians realize we're talking about the subject of justice, and I hope you hear me, that the problem is much more severe than anyone could imagine who's not a Christian. Well, you know, we got cultural differences. That's not what it is. That's just not it, though. Got preferences. That's not it. You know what I'm saying? It's just some people are smarter than other people. That's not it. That's not it. It's the effects of the fall that broke into this world and have messed everything up. When we realize that, the solution has to be akin in the same type of way, you know? Like, it's got to be as significant as the problem. So when we're talking about moving towards justice, we realize the great injustice 
that has come into all of humanity. And so we as the people of God move forward. I, just here's, here's what I want to ask. You know, we're starting with equality being the basis for justice and now restoration. I just want to ask this question for you and for us to think about. Is, is your life marked with and towards restorative justice? Is it marked by that? Are you interacting with people whom are in hard situations for whatever reason, and you, like our verse says today, care for them? Look at that second verse one more time. It says the righteous care about justice for the poor. They're concerned with justice for the poor. That word there in the Hebrew literally means concern. If we've been made righteous, we have concern for those who are weak and frail and in need of help. That it is, I appreciate this because it's not like they should. It's just like they do, you know. The righteous care about justice for the poor. A couple of categories of people that the scriptures talk about a lot. One is just the poor. So you can ask yourself, what is your relation? This is a, I think these are good questions for us. What is our relationship with the materially poor? Like your relationship personally. You got one? Do we have one? Other groups of people the scriptures talk a lot about, like James 1. Pure religion that God accepts is what? To care for who? Y'all know with me? Widows and orphans. What's your relationship with those population groups? Elderly, orphans. Like one of the things I was thinking about and seeing some people in our last service is like, praise God for the families in our church who've begun fostering and adopting. Like praise God for that. And that might be something that you do, but you also can help in other ways. You don't have to actually have a child into your home. You know what else you can do? For real. Give them a date night. I'm not even kidding. Like, there's people been in our church, possibly, like, you should be like, hey, can I watch your kids? Get a background check first, right? Like, like but like, hey, can, if you're in Kid City, you already got one. Like, like, hey, can I, I'd love to do that. How can I help? Financially, maybe you can support them. Like, there's, and, and to support them along the way, not just at placement. care about that. The foreigner. The Bible talks a lot about the foreigner. Just read Old Testament. Blue Letter Bible that too. Just pay attention to it. How, how does it talk about it? In Christ, we've been justified. Jesus is our king. No longer do we have rights to do justice or to do whatever we want to do the way we want to do it. Now we look to Jesus and we say, how would you have me conduct myself? Amen? How would you have me conduct myself? Let me read the word and engage in this thing that's so core to who we are that we could have no such concern. The last one. I spent a little bit of time here. Justice is stabilizing. Everybody say stabilizing. Justice is stabilizing. By justice, a king gives a country stability. 
but one who is greedy for bribes tears it down. By justice, a king gives a country stability. The idea is when the king or the authority starts ruling in a way that is in keeping with justice, instead of anarchy, you'll have stability. Here's the thing. I think for some of us, this conversation around justice is one we enjoy. And for some of us, I think we can find ourselves, I think, sometimes too often in a place where we kind of stand over here at the systems and structures in the world, and all we do is we just go, I'm going to have a prophetic voice. I'm going to be like Jeremiah or Micah. I'm just going to talk about how all these systems are bad. All these processes are bad. I'm just going to throw stones at them and talk about how they need to change instead of recognizing is that when I'm a justified person, I actually start creating stability in the relationships and organizations and people I'm around. That, this is like an important one. Don't get brought up enough. Justice, like by justice, a king gives a country stability. It gives it order. Can I tell you something? The opposite of injustice is not anarchy. It's not let's burn it all down. It's not all these systems. And listen, I feel you, man. You can read some stuff in the news and even in the church, like as of late, you'd be like, let's just burn this. Like, it's bad. We need to start over, you know? Like, I, there's stuff all the time that's like that. And in that, I think what happens sometimes is we see the injustice in a place and we start actually forgetting that even the oppressor is made in the image of God. We just say, hey, let's tear this whole thing down. I know some of you, you're like, let's throw out white evangelicalism. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, I understand. <laughs> and we start acting like everything from it is bad. But that is a misapplication. That is a misapplication. Both the oppressed, the poor, and the oppressor are made in the image of God. And when we start being just to people, Yes, we reform. And let me tell you something. We should throw, we, like, the prophetic voice is needed. And we should condemn unjust practices. But what we should also do is position ourselves in a way to create stability in the communities we're around. So here's a question. In the realms of influence you occupy, is stability happening? Stability for all people. Like, the ministry you lead in our church, like, is it becoming more stable for all people to thrive and worship God based, even regardless of their gender or economic status? Is the business that you lead or, or you help or the, the, the team you're over, like, how do you treat the team members you lead? Do you show favoritism to the people who are most like you? the people who are in a higher economic class, or is it becoming more stable for all people? Your home, your community, your neighborhood. Like, I'm going to be like, we, more of us should be in the HOA. You know what I'm saying? For those of you who own a home, like, you should be up in the HOA. Creating stability in your neighborhood. Seriously, recognizing, like, here's a place. What does it mean for me to be involved, to hear the worries and concerns, and actually realize I'm a, just, I'm a justified person, and so where I'm going to be, justice is going to start to be too, and it's going to become more stable. Let me tell you something. Uh, ben, you come on up. And, and uh, I said it, like, don't be distracted by the band walking up for a second. Let me, let me say this as they walk on up.
what we are to be because we've been justified in Christ if we are in Christ. This is according to Matthew chapter 5. Is what's supposed to happen is the world looks in at the people of God. Grace City Church, right? The world looks in. And here's what I want to say. Not, the or, not just the organized church, like the, the organization, but, but the organism, like the people of God, the scattered church, us everywhere. Like the world looks in and is supposed to see a city on a hill, a light that shines, Salt is what it says in Matthew 5 that preserves and tastes good. We're supposed to taste different than the world. Because of the way we have been justified and the way we think about engaging justice. Because we are the righteousness of God. And so now we do the right of God. The world's supposed to look in and see something. And here's what's supposed to happen ultimately. And I hope you hear it. Here's, here's what we get to do differently. It's not only are we motivated differently because of what Christ has done, but when we go into spaces and talk about justice, not only is our word different and our language different, but we get to tell somebody not only can they have, the, not only can they go from, from poor to being out of that, po- that state of poverty and being rich, but that their richness actually can transcend circumstance so that their riches can be given for them in a place that neither moth nor rust nor nothing can decay and it'll be kept in heaven from them because of God. Like we get to point, like when we do relief, we get to point to the great reliever. When we do development, we get to point to the great developer. When we do reform, we point to the great reformer because we want people to know that one day, we know somebody, that one day, you're never going to have to worry about unequal treatment. That one day, you can be in a kingdom of God that's perfectly equitable. And, not, and it's perfectly equitable because Jesus has paid the price for our sin and his blood has brought an atonement or a covering or a cleansing over all of us that's going to make the world beautiful. Now lions going to lay down with that lamb. Now there's going to be no more weeping or mourning or tears, none of that. All that goes away according to Revelation. That only in the kingdom of God can they have perfect justice. The opposite of injustice is ultimately God's presence. We're the only one who has that message. We're the only one who has that message. Let our behavior point to that message. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we need you desperately. We need you. I've fallen so dramatically short of this call. And I confess on behalf of our church, the ways we've all fallen short of this call, the way we haven't lived into who we are. Please forgive us, God. Forgive us for our sin. Forgive us for our selfishness our pride and apathy and Jesus we ask because we only because you're the only one who can do it we pray for a new day we pray for new eyes to see and a new heart that that cares because we've been made righteous like our proverb said and we pray that you could make something beautiful that you would take your hands and you'd refine us and you'd mold us and 
in it you produce a jewel that displays your glory to this world. And even when we fall short, we pray that we point to the one who forgives us, the one whom is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, not because of our works, but because of yours. I look forward to seeing your kingdom come, God. We all do. And we just pray that it would come. We pray that it would come. We pray that this place would look like it does in heaven as you teach us to pray in Matthew chapter 6. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace City Church Podcast. Whether this is your first time with us or you find the Lord moving you to engage differently or just learn more about who we are, we encourage you to find us at our website at www.thegracecity.com to explore all of the ways that you can give, connect, and engage. Thank you again for being with us. Now go live as image bearers of the King.